Great to be back on Search the Scriptures today. Once again, we welcome all of our listeners, and we want to express to you again how pleased we are to be able to be here with you each day on Search the Scriptures, and how encouraged we are to know that you are there. We hear from so many of our listeners. We've been able to meet many of them in the Omaha area, but we know there are many listeners in other areas, and even in the Omaha area, uh, whom we never have the opportunity to meet face-to-face, but we know you're there. We hear from many of you, people telling us that they listen every day, people telling us that they listen on a regular or repeated basis, a frequent basis, and they express their appreciation for being able to learn God's Word in, in the way that we try to get it across in depth and in detail, and yet in a way that is easy to understand and it makes sense for your everyday life. We're thankful to have this opportunity, this opportunity to teach others and thereby to serve God and give Him glory. And that is the bottom line of this particular ministry, to bring glory to God. We want to try to get the gospel message out there on as widespread a basis as possible, as widespread a basis as possible, and reach as many souls as possible with the truth of God's Word. Our prayer is that you're learning And that as you're learning, your faith is growing stronger and deeper. And that as that happens, you're coming closer to God. And that you're becoming better prepared to make up your mind to give your life to God through Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Christ as your Lord and Savior and God's Son, and surrendering to Him in baptism for the remission of your sins. And then beginning to live that reborn life, that new life in Christ, pointed toward heaven and eternal life with God in Christ therein. Our prayers are with you and our prayers are for you. Dwayne Kennedy, brother, great to be back today. Thank you, Gary. Thank you so much. It's good to be on the program with you and with our listeners. You know, Gary, I was thinking about how at one time some of our members whom we fellowship with regularly, attend Bible classes with and who listen to our lessons and sermons, how they at one time were in the place of some of our listeners right now. No, that's right. That's that right. is, they, they started out uh, listening to the program and they took advantage of our invitation to be with us here at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ or perhaps if you are in another area of the country, you can attend the Church of Christ wherever they might be meeting. But it's a pleasure and and a great thing and an encouragement to realize that they started out where you are and they are now members of the Lord's Church here at Sunny Slope or some other congregation of the Church of Christ. That's so encouraging to know. Thank you for being on the program today. We hope that we get to meet you very soon. Amen. Amen. And you know, Dwayne, only eternity will tell what the ultimate fruit of this ministry will be. And when you stop and think how it can help people change lives on an individual basis, well then the work that they do after they become Christians, well that can just go on and on and on. And we were talking about that the other day, that multiplying ministries that multiplying effect of God's Word. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Boy, teaching God's Word is so important, and it can have such 
far-reaching and widespread consequences for good. Yes. The more people who become faithful Christians, Duane, the better society will become. Oh, sure. And ultimately the world will be. We become better people, therefore we become a better society. That's right, that's right. And it's not by our doing, it's by our conforming to the teachings of God's word. That's right, God gives us instruction that we might be better in every way. Yes, yes. He does the changing. Yes, that's We make right. up our minds, but he's the one who saves us, and he expects our obedience to get to that point and to live the faithful life afterwards. But he's the one who cleanses us and saves us. Now, Duane, in our last program, we began a new study, and we were talking in that particular program about some introductory material. And I made the point that every one of us will ultimately stand before the judgment seat of Christ right. and will give an account of how we will have lived our life in this world, good or bad. Now, if we've lived a good life, a good life defined by God's word, then that's the accountability that we will give. If we have lived an unfaithful life, a bad life, that's the accountability that we will give. And there's no hiding the details, is there? There isn't, Gary. Uh, God sees everything. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing and all-seeing. And he's omnipresent. He is everywhere at the same time, all the time. So there's nothing that is hidden before his eyes. Right. He knows exactly how we live our lives every second of every day. And on that final day of judgment, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31, Hebrews 9 and verse 27, and we could go on. We will give account for how we have lived our lives in this world. It's not a frightening thing to know that God knows exactly what is in our heart and what is not in our heart. It could be frightening, however, if we do not follow his word. And by not following his word, we leave ourselves unprepared. That's right. For that day. But God has given us his word to prepare us for that day. Exactly. Now, if we know that we have this, this tool that can get us ready for the most important day that we will ever face, and we don't use that tool, how foolish are we? Yeah. How would we not prepare for the judgment day? We would have to be foolish. That day is coming. And we're admonished in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 to be diligent, to study, to prepare ourselves for that day. Right. To study, to learn God's word so that we can stand approved before him, a worker who does not need to be ashamed because we can understand effectively and properly apply the teachings of his word, the word of truth. Amen. And remember that Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 32 that it is the truth that shall set us free, free from the guilt and condemnation of our sin. Well, we need to study then, don't we? Yes, we do. We read in 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 9 and 10 
that God wants all to be saved, but he leaves the choice up to us. But, and again, as we read earlier in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 and Acts chapter 17 and verses 30 and 31 and Hebrews 9 and verse 27, that the day of the Lord will come. That day of judgment will come. It will happen. We need to be ready for it. That's right, Gary. And we really have no excuse for not being ready. We need to know what we're supposed to believe and why we should believe it. 1 Peter 3 and verse 15. Well, we could go on talking about that particular uh, subject and, and along that particular line of study. But let's get into the text of what we really wanted to focus on. All of that kind of sets the stage for this particular study from Daniel chapter 5 about Belshazzar, the king of, uh, of, of Babylon, and Daniel, a prophet of God. That's right. This really helps us understand in a graphic way the importance of what we went through in our first program in this study. That's right. So let's turn to Daniel chapter 5, Dwayne, and let's read to begin with verses 1 through 4. Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. Belshazzar was, and we can learn this from, from history, he was a co-regent or a co-ruler with right. his father, Nabonidus. And while the text says that he was the son of Nebuchadnezzar or that Nebuchadnezzar was his father, probably we're talking about something more along the line of a grandfather. And so here we have Belshazzar and he is one of the rulers of what had been up until that point or shortly before that point one of the strongest empires, at least in that part of the world, That's for some right. time. If we go back and read in some of the earlier books of history in the Old Testament, we find that God actually raised up the, the, the country of Babylon to become a great power and used them as an instrument of judgment against the nation of Israel That's for right. their unfaithfulness. With the whole ultimate purpose to bring them back to him, allow them to come to their senses and realize how great a God they have and how necessary it is to worship before him. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon during that particular period of history. And God allowed him to conquer Judah, what was left of Israel in that area, uh, hundreds of years before the nation of Israel had split in two. And you had 
basically ten tribes to the north that came to be uh, that came to be known as Samaria or North Israel, and then you had two tribes to the south that came to be called Judah. Now there were migrations from the ten tribes to the north down to the south, but but the land holdings and the bulk of the people from those tribes they stayed in the in that part of Israel to the north. God used the nation of Assyria sometime before to conquer north Israel. He had sent prophets into that particular part of Israel to teach those people you need to come back to God. They had gone into grievous idolatry, had become extremely corrupt and unfaithful to God, and they ignored the prophets basically. Right. Ultimately, God called them to account, and that goes back to the judgment that we're talking about in our opening segment of this study, in our last program, there's always going to be a day of accounting. He called them to account, they came up short, and he, he allowed the nation of Assyria to conquer them, and Duane, it was a conquering, it was a conquering that, that we, the likes of which we really have a difficult time relating to today. Right. And Gary, you know, we should be thankful that we have studies such as this one regarding Daniel and Belshazzar to learn that God does keep his word. He does keep his promises. He does bring people into an account. And this historical study teaches us that. Exactly. When I said that it was a conquering, the likes of which we have a difficult time relating to today, what I mean is that the nation of Assyria did not just defeat the ten tribes of Israel to the north militarily. They wiped them out, basically. Yes. Now, they didn't kill every one of them, but they killed a whole lot. A whole lot died of famine and plague probably as a result of, of not having enough to eat as the army would lay siege to the cities and the battles would be ongoing. But whatever, whatever population was left except for the infirm and the older people, the, the, the king of Assyria, they took them all captive and actually removed them from their land and took them to other places and held them in bondage, basically. Yes. They depopulated the land. You would think the two tribes to the south would observe that and say, wow, as you said, God does keep his promises and he will hold us accountable and we better straighten up. Right. Because we're heading down that same road. But they did not stay faithful to God either. No, they didn't. They became wicked. They went grievously into idolatry. And so God raised up the nation of Babylon to conquer the two tribes to the, sorth, uh, to the south, that part of Israel that became known as Judah. Now, it was more than just the tribe of Judah, but that was the predominant tribe. And so they were conquered. Nebuchadnezzar was that king. When they took the city of Jerusalem, what did they do to the city, Duane? They destroyed it and uh, t 
took the spoils, the gold and the silver, and took it to Babylon. And by destroying the city, they utterly destroyed it, didn't they? Yes. They tore it apart, literally. Wasteland. They, they tore the buildings down. They tore the, tore the wall around the city of Jerusalem apart. There was no more city there, basically. Right. And the people who did not die in the battles or by starvation in the sieges experienced exactly the same fate as their brothers to the north. They were taken captive and removed from their land to live as strangers in a foreign land. And they became subservient to an idolatrous nation. As they had turned to idolatry, they were now forced into the service of an idolatrous nation. Yes, a nation that worshipped idols. A nation that, by and large, did not even believe in God. Right. Nebuchadnezzar came to believe in God. The king whom God allowed to take to destroy Judah to the south and the city of Jerusalem. I don't know that we should ever understand, though, that Nebuchadnezzar became a faithful worshiper of God, effectively. But he did come to believe in God. He did. And he offered God glory, at least by way of, of uh, confessing him as God. But Nebuchadnezzar was still, I think we would understand, even, at, even after that point, someone who worshiped idols yes so the empire of Babylon is passed on and when we get to Daniel chapter 5 we find Belshazzar as one of the co-rulers probably a grandson somewhere down the line of Nebuchadnezzar now as you read those first four verses in Daniel chapter 5 Belshazzar was throwing a big party, wasn't he? <laughs> 1,000? <000. laughs> yeah. That's a lot of guests. It's a lot. Yes. A great feast for a thousand of his lords, and they drank wine in the presence of the thousand. In these particular, and again we can learn this from historical readings, in these particular events, wine was normally drunk after eating the meal right and the drinking of the wine and it, you know it just looks rather you know passe sort mm -hmm. of when we read it in the account in, in verse one and drank wine in the presence of the thousand it doesn't didn't really express the extent to which they were drinking the wine no the idea was that they would have a true drinking session yes it would become a drunken party. After the meal was eaten, they'd really lay into the wine then. And it would become a, drink, a drunken party. Now, the next verse, verse 2 says, while he tasted the wine. And that probably indicates a developing state of drunkenness yes. in the person of Belshazzar. The alcohol was probably at this point dulling his senses and impairing his judgment, and that probably led, at least in part, to his subsequent actions. Yeah. And the subsequent actions were serious indeed, because it says that Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father or grandfather 
Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple, the temple being the temple in Jerusalem, and had, which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they're going to drink the wine from the golden vessels. We're talking about cups and, and perhaps bowls and such that were taken from the temple in Jerusalem. Verse 3 says, they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. So he commanded that they be brought, and they were brought, and the party went on, and there were probably a lot of them getting drunk by this time, mm -hmm. and now they were using these vessels from the temple of God in Jerusalem to continue their drunken party and to command using in drunken debauchery the holy vessels. These were supposed to be holy vessels. That's right, Gary. Vessels used in worship to God for his exclusive use. Yes. And to use those vessels in a sacrilegious way like this and to use them in this way to drink from them and get drunk from them, that was sacrilegious. And it was an insult not just to the people of Judah who were now under the subjection of the Babylonians living in their land or someplace else, but it was an insult to God. The God of heaven. Yes. And to toast Babylon's idols with oh, those vessels man. contradicted the usual respect that a conquering nation would commonly show a conquered people. And so verse 4 says they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver. Those would have been the idols that were worshipped in Babylon. Yes. The, the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, and wood and stone. And of course, those idols were not gods. They were nothing. But they worshipped them as gods. Yes. And so to use the holy vessels from the temple of God in Jerusalem to toast these false gods, it's hard to imagine, Duane, how God must have looked at that how insulted he must have been through that action. But we're going to get an idea as we continue the study. But our time is up for today. Hope you've enjoyed this particular study. It's going to get even more graphic yes, as we go is. along. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Oh, my. It's the imagery is going to light up in your mind in splendid technicolor. <laughs> and it's a lesson that every one of us ought to learn. It is a lesson that tells us that God holds us accountable. And we will have to give account for the way we live our lives on that final day of judgment. Until then, Contact us. We'll tell you how in just a moment. Ask for that free Bible study that we always offer. And you can learn how you can come to God for forgiveness, for salvation, for redemption through Jesus Christ. And how your life can turn around for the better 
for all of eternity. The study is free. We'll take care of the postage. Contact us right away, won't you?